welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thank you, big loud voice in the sky. Yes, I am Chip Patterson. That's Barton Simmons. This is the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Uh, we are very excited. We have got another guest, Shay Dixon from 24-7 Sports. Go 24-7, the LSU site. We're going to be giving you a big old chunk of updates from LSU, position battles, uh, everything else we need to get to. We got our camp buzz. We've got our question of the day. We've got uh, some quarterback drama. Just quarterbacks chattering. Barton, how we doing? Man, we're doing good. We're doing good. It's it's. Uh, I'm already in that part of the season where I'm I'm not getting good sleep. I'm just so <laughs> geared up and wired for the football season to get here. Uh, I, I need it. To, I need it to arrive, man. So I'm I'm glad to to talk it out. All the things that have been on my mind. What's what is keeping you stirring at night the most? Like what's what I, I'll tell you that um, I I finished the uh, by the way twenty four seven sports uh, all American team was released this week so be sure you go check it out uh, I had to turn in an all American ballot so that I was I was tossing and turning over to that but I feel like for all of our our preseasonness like I think that we're starting to get pretty much done with all of our rankings and such. Yeah, yeah, the All-American team is in, the CBS 130 is in, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's. but at this point now, it's like, hurry up and wait. I mean, it's almost a tease. Uh, I, I just need to see some, they need to televise some scrimmages or something just to give me my fix. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, may, I may roll down to Vanderbilt to see if I can watch a little bit of practice here this week or something. Ooh, Coach Mason going to let you in there or is he super secretive? He's pretty good about it. I, I went down there last year and, and hung out for like a full day, uh, sun up to sundown, and it was it was I had a blast. It was um, you you like I I got there at probably six a.m. and left at like ten thirty, and I was absolutely exhausted by like eight. And and these guys are, are I mean everyone does it, but it's not just Vanderbilt. But these guys are you know going to bed and lining up and getting right back up the next morning at six for another. 18 hour day so it's it's uh it's just um man this camp that's that's what camp is and it's it's uh, I, I love i love that about this part time of year well speaking of camp do you have a camp buzz for me do you have a camp buzz name just tell me oh. and I'll, I'll hit the jingle only if you play the jingle i had to listen to that jingle in post-production like i i listened to the show to just see how we did and that jingle came out of nowhere didn't know it was coming and man that got me hype i love the jingle uh, it, it gets me very fired up about Camp Buzz. So, yes, I got two good Camp Buzz guys. Play the jingle. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, Camp Buzz. Camp, Camp Buzz. Camp, Camp Buzz. Talking about players that are buzzing. That's right. We are talking about players that are buzzing. Talking <laughs> about players that are buzzing. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So, we're the players that are buzzing, <clears throat> I'm going to start with... Let's start with SEC first. Let's do it. Uh, Missouri. I know that's not a name anyone's really talking about right now in the SEC. It's sort of the last name on the list, honestly, according to most people. But I, I, I talked to somebody on the Missouri staff this past week, and 
they are really confident. They think this team is going to be vastly improved. Like and a it. big reason why, I mean, we know they can put up points, but a big reason why they're actually really confident is because they think they hit home runs on the recruiting trail this, this past year on the defensive line. Um, they've got two Juco guys <clears throat> that, that are coming in ready to play, if not start. And they've got this kid every year – Missouri finds a way to do this. They, they get these guys <clears throat> out of Louisiana or Missouri or, or somewhere, Georgia, that others sort of pass on or, or maybe don't think as highly of, and then they turn them into studs. Apparently, they got another one. This kid, Chris Turner, who's out of Hammond, Louisiana, is, is battling right now for a starting job, and he's being compared to Shane Ray. So wow. That's – if, if they've got – and then remember, we did our over-unders when we did our totals, win totals for Missouri. I was – what I said was I was like, I want to see what Terry Beckner looks like because if Terry Beckner's good and that defensive line good is good and the whole defense is better, and then they got a chance because their offense is going to be pretty good. Well, it sounds like they think their defensive line is really good. And next year, they think their defensive line is going to be absolutely loaded because they, they also have Jordan Elliott who transferred from Texas who's sitting out this year. Who is who they think is is um, like a future first rounder type of talent, and uh, and then they you know this this freshman could be a, you know one year further along. So bottom line is, I'm gonna warn everybody right now that you better not be overlooking Missouri on your schedule. Like you you better take that game seriously because they I, I think this team is starting to sound like it's going to be a very improved football team in Barry Odom's second year. So. That's something to keep an eye out for, man. And that's like uh, the the Missouri Missouri, improved Missouri changes the math big time in the SEC East because you're not feeling I'm not feeling confident enough even in the preseason favorites. You know, your Georgia, your Florida. Like if if all of a sudden we're dealing with you know seven teams where anybody could beat anybody. Man, that's that's gonna make uh, that makes Missouri look like one of those teams that I'm not thinking will creep up and win it, but they could keep a team from winning the East for sure. That's I mean that's what the SEC East felt like to me even before sort of getting. I and mean, look, this is a this is a Missouri person who's who's obviously they're gonna be who's going, yeah, who is so. going who is going to give the best information possible for sure yeah i mean they're gonna be they're, they're confident and that's why shouldn't they be but uh, i mean i i do think that this is an east that everyone could beat everyone else i don't think there's a there is a gimme game in that schedule for anybody in that in that division so it's man it just makes that conference so or that division so fascinating all right my second guy i'm gonna go north to the big 10 national title contender ohio state Running back J.K. Dobbins, true freshman, who is the first true freshman to get his stripe removed, one of these um, ceremonial sort of acts that a lot of football programs have where they sort of become part of the team. Um, and, and Dobbins is the first guy. This is somebody that missed his entire senior year in high school due to injury. But, man, he is... Uh, an incredibly explosive, dynamic athlete. He's a little bit, a little bit shorter, like in that five nine range, but he's built like a rock, and and is really, really fast and has a lot of big playability. Here's my prediction for J.K. Dobbins because he's already buzzing. I think that Mike Weber is is a good back, and that's sort of it. I bet you that 
the last four games of the regular season, J.K. Dobbins will have more have averaged more rushing yards per game than Mike Weber. I just think he is going to overtake him at some point because I think he's better, and uh, and and he's just he, he's going to be one of the real exciting, explosive, true freshmen in college football. I think. Wow. All right, you've you've been down on Mike Weber. I've, I've picked that up a little bit. Well, I just look I, again. I think Mike Weber is is good. And that's, but that's, but he's not a, he's not Ezekiel Elliott, which is, I know is a, is a big shoes to live to, to, to step into, but I don't like, I don't know that he's a no doubt NFL football player. I don't know that he's a no doubt NFL draft pick. I think he is, he could get there. He's, he's, but I think he is a point A to point B North South guy. That's great in that Ohio state offense. But I think if you're just, if you're just building an offense around him, I don't think he's that dude. I think JK Dobbins could be that dude. So I, again, I, I think um, it's not about being down on Mike Weber. It's more about, I think, keeping expectations in check about what Mike Weber really is. All right. Well, a an NFL player who I believe, uh, just based on everything that he's got in terms of uh, intangibles, in terms of the talent, the arm talent, um, in terms of, I don't know, this guy's had NFL written all over him ever since he was coming out of high school in California. Josh Rosen, UCLA, uh, shut down last season because of injury. Coming into this year, UCLA expectations riding almost entirely on how he's going to perform, and he has a Q&A with Bleacher Report that, like, and you know what? This this is that, that weird time of camp where we've already gotten all of our preseason rankings out. We still are waiting to uh, be close enough that we can start making our against-the-spread picks and, uh, you know, all of our all of our game-by-game analysis and breakdown. So, when, when there's a buzzy, when there is a clicky, when there is something that rises to the t- to the level of national debate and eyebrow raising, it's it's going to get a lot of run. And I, you know, Josh Rosen was the guy who who went around with a with a uh, an infl- he went around with inflammatory uh, headgear on one of Donald Trump's golf courses. He's always been outspoken. He had the hot tub like. The guy has brought attention everywhere he's gone, but his Q&A with Bleacher Report included some details uh, about um, the fact, the, ba- the work-life balance, essentially, of a college football player, except that, of course, be including school. And it just says that human beings don't belong in school with our schedules and with our he's talking about college football players he said no one in their right mind should have a football player's schedule and go to school it's not that some players shouldn't be in school it's just that universities should help them more instead of just finding ways to keep them eligible he goes on to elaborate on the issue talking about something that uh, i think has been raised within the the college football player debate on the the difficulty of balancing the rigorous college football schedule with uh, academics and it becomes part of the amateurism debate and everything else. So like there's like Barton, I understand why uh, this has become a thing because we're bored and because he's Josh Rosen to me, this is recycling uh, some of the same topics that have been floating around, particularly for the last couple of years, but you played at Yale 
So I, I thought you would be the perfect person to weigh in, and I want to kick this back and forth a little bit, see what you got to say, because there's, again, there is the reason why this is going to get your Mike and Mike's of the world. This is going to be on Embrace Debate. They're going to first take it to death. But I want to get some educated breakdown. Let's put some context to Josh Rosen's comments. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, first of all. And I'll, I'll start with not even the, the like not even the specifics of what he said, but just – I I think we need to treasure Josh Rosen. That he is he is being honest, and no one is honest when they talk to the media. And now he's honest, and people start railing on him, and that's fine. You know, you can disagree with what he said, and, and but Josh Rosen is. I love that he is he is totally transparent. He's going to say what he thinks, and and I I love it. And and he was like that in high school. Uh, he's, this has always been his personality and, and, and it's a shame that people are going to take some of these headlines and turn it into like clickbait without adding the context to it. But because I, I want to reward guys who are honest, I, I don't want a bunch of Russell Wilson's who are just spitting cliches and, and, and platitudes. And, um, this is, I mean, he was asked questions and he, he gave thoughtful, authentic, honest answers. And whether you agree with them or not, you have to respect that he's willing to talk openly about them. In, in, in that way you know i mean are you oh 100 100 you know, this is this is uh this is the opposite of what we are getting and what college football coaches and athletic directors would want us to hear and and i hope i i don't think it will i think he is such a, a headstrong intelligent kid at, at that young man at this point that he is is not going to get um you know beaten out of him to where he just you know turns into a cliche machine by the time he's in the NFL. But I hope it doesn't. Um, the other thing I'll say about about this is like I Josh you have to know Josh Rosen. You have to get an understanding of who Josh Rosen is. And I'll give you a great example. I was in at the Elite Eleven when he was there and I was there as a reporter obviously and I was you know I, and I had covered him for a while. He he knew me not like really well but but certainly recognized me probably knew my name like we would say hi to each other when we'd pass on the field kind of deal uh and and at one point there was sort of some dead time and i was just sort of standing next to him and just making small talk and he starts telling me about like his you know how who he parties with in in southern california and like how they you know who, how he likes to to you know drink with his buddies at at the local public school or something and, and just sort of this very like very non uh guarded conversation and a guy look every all these guys a lot of these guys are are drinking and partying underage but i've never had a kid like be that out front and like without even probing just sort of volunteer that sort of information and I was. I wanted to be like, hey man, I, I'm a reporter. Like, like I can, <laughs> I can, uh, I could just report this stuff. You're not telling me off the record or anything, and I didn't. But it just sort of gives you an idea of how it's. He just doesn't really care. He's just going to be Josh Rose, and he's going to talk. You know, he's going to say, he's going to be truthful and honest, and 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 in that sense, it was. You know, I, you know, you kind of wish he'd be a little bit more guarded. But in another sense, you you like just the authenticity of him as just look he's he is who he is take it or leave it um and 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 I, I, as far as his points specifically 
I'm really bothered by the people that take what he said and 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 make statements like, "This kid's entitled." Oh you know, if, man! If he doesn't want if he doesn't want to work hard, then then someone else could take his scholarship and be happy. And those people are totally missing the point. He Josh Rosen is not saying that that he you know isn't appreciative of the opportunity. He's not saying that you know college football and and school is can't work together. He's saying it's flawed right now. And he's and and it is flawed. And everyone would admit it's flawed. And the only way you fix a flawed scenario is bringing it to light and discussing it and talking about it. Like Josh Rosen, another example of his personality, honestly, he wanted to go to Stanford. Like he wanted to go to the highest academic program in in college football and in major college football. And he would have been committed to Stanford had he gotten an offer from Stanford. He went to he went to Stanford, killed it at their camp. I saw that there. I was there, and I talked to one of the coaches as they were like going in to meet with him, and he was like, "Yeah, he's getting offered." And then he comes out and he didn't get offered, and they passed on him. And ultimately, what happened was David Shaw just was turned off by his personality, uh, which was again is just sort of he can just rub some people the wrong way, but he. He is not ever like shied away from hard work. He's he's discussing how he wants all that challenge, um, and I think you know this is it's unfortunate that people are turning it into like this is a kid that is entitled and doesn't want to work. That's not that's not him. That's not what he's he is. But he's right. Like challenge. like football and school. When he says football and school don't go together, that like is the that seems to be the thing that's lighting everybody's hair on fire. But the like. The, but it's true. It's true. Like the what it takes from a hours commitment in order to do all of the the football the capital F football things that it takes to win at the power five level requires more hours in the day. I mean, you were just talking about you know, you're up at six AM, you're you're going down at ten thirty, then you're waking up at one AM to eat a sandwich so that you can put on weight, then you gotta go back to it, like between the the physical conditioning, the tape, the film work, the study, uh, the actual academics, like yes, to just stay eligible, like there it all adds up to about thirty hours in a day, and that's if you have time to sleep. Like it's uh it it, it brings to light the stress and the the environment that's created where the pressure to win at all levels you know from the the top of the administration all the way down uh to the position coach or your strength coach like the the improvement of your athletics is being valued over um the the specifics and like look this is Josh Rosen economics major you know like he's not out here you know like you mentioned he could have gotten into stanford he's not out here getting pushed along through some faulty major like he wants like if i remember correctly from another profile like he wants to run a movie studio one day like he's he's got like big life dreams and he is a like super talented future nfl quarterback so i i think that the 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 quick reaction that we're seeing uh, is, is from the fast defenders of just sort of the the big the big sort of tentpole idea of amateurism, right? And and again, I think you can still be critical of the NCAA model and also be appreciative 
of the opportunity that it provides. Like it, they, are, they aren't mutually exclusive. And I, look, I'll give just in my personal experience. So I went to Yale. I played football. And it's, you, don't, you don't know a world without football. So you, don't really, it, you can't even conceptualize how much free time non-athletes have until you sort of like think through it, like actively try to think through because you just used to be in having lift sessions, having morning uh, film, having uh, practice, which is essentially from like a, a two to seven o'clock sort of ordeal in terms of like getting to the field, getting taped, uh, you know, doing your rehab, whatever. So, you know, I was a history major because I was interested in history. I would probably would have been a history major either way, but you know what? I probably like if I wasn't a football player, I probably would have liked to have taken like an econ class or something that that I could that that would have been a challenge for me, but wasn't one I was really able to to take on with a football schedule. And you know, that's I I think that's what he's getting at is is look, it's he's not he's not saying that he's not appreciative of it. He's just saying that it's a challenge and that it, that there's a lot of guys that you know, want that, that that come to school for football and and aren't really prepared for school and aren't really and and do get sort of pushed through the system, pushed into you saying a sociology major and these guys aren't going to come out learning anything, but they're eligible and so they're able to play football. Like that's just the whole concept of that is there's something off, there's something missing, and um, you know, I I took I remember I took uh, uh, history of uh, missionaries in West Africa. And I guarantee you, man, I wasn't interested in missionaries in West Africa. I just heard that was a pretty easy A. <laughs> and so I got in that class. Yeah. And that was a, that's a young, like, young person's, like, approach to, 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 to things. But when, when, you're, when you're that stretched for time, you got to find some, find some classes you can get, you know, just survive. And I think that that's probably true for every college student. But I think even more so for a football player that's just trying to stay eligible. Did y'all have pick a prof? No, what is that? All right, so Pick a Prof was a subscription service that somehow had the grade breakdown of classes. And so you could search the class and you could see from like the last semester or so uh, what percentage of the class got A's, what percentage of the class got B's, C's, D's, and so on. And it also had reviews of the teacher and the class from other Pick a Prof users. I was not a college athlete. Yeah, I was like waiting some tables on the side, but that's nothing compared to the the hourly demands of an athlete. But I was looking for uh, the opportunities because that is in a young person's mindset, right? Right. right. I mean, yeah, it's just I I I don't know the and this is the thing. Just to put a bow on this, I don't know the answers. I just wish we would have more intellectually honest discussions about the way the system is set up right now. I agree. It just don't don't just blanket dog a kid for saying these things that are fundamentally true. Right. He, he's saying things that are true, and instead of just brushing them aside and 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 berating the kid, let's let's to figure out how, what what the the real long term solutions for some of these problems and some of these hard to solve issues are. And and this isn't just about paying players. There's a lot more to it. It's just. Um, I, I again, I'm with you. Like I, I'm just, I'm appreciative of Rosen for actually being intellectually honest about this and and not not going the easy way out on an interview. Uh, a couple more quarterbacks that made some headlines: uh, Blake Barnett 
and uh, and Cooper Bateman talking to ESPN uh, about their experience getting losing the quarterback battle to Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, they Blake Barnett thought that he was going to be the guy. He played two series. Jalen Hurts comes in, and Barnett doesn't see the field again until the game's out of hand. Cooper Bateman thought that he was going to share some time, ends up uh, being the holder, as he had been uh, for the rest of the 2016 season, stays on through the playoff. Blake Barnett, uh, his dad helps him find a loophole in the transfer system. He bounces after just four games. The, The headline that went through my mind was quarterbacks complain about getting displaced by the SEC Offensive Player of the Year. Am I being a jerk? <laughs> Am I being a jerk by saying that? No. And and I will, uh, in order to not pile on these guys, like I said, told people not to pile on Rosen, I will say there was like a clear, in the story, there was a clear uh, clause in there where they were like, it, it, you know, these both players wanted to be clear they're not disrespecting Nick Saban. So I don't know how much that they were complaining or whether they just were being a little bit, they weren't being very self-aware. But I, I agree. I'm on the Rosen side of the quarterback debate in in the last talk. But this one, man, I'm I am I I, I can't I'm not feeling their their uh, argument here. It's and, uh, it, and it, like I don't want to criticize a, a, a like I don't want to criticize a journalist. I don't want to criticize a media outlet because all of us are at some point, uh, especially in this ever evolving uh, media age, all of us at some point are asked to do something where we are like, uh, uh, and you try and like figure out a way to, to like write it or angle it so that maybe it doesn't come off as like inflammatory. But you know, the, the idea of entertainment is to, is, is to provide uh, as, as many different angles as possible and try and investigate them. And, you know, these two quarterbacks leaving were big headlines and they're both at other schools and they're both eligible to play this year. So they're both available to the media. So in that sense, I get it. But like at the same time, uh, you know, at the, at the, <laughs> at the, we got two guys that might not be starting at Arizona state and Utah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and for, for Blake Barnett, it's about, yeah, okay, the game plan wasn't to go with Jalen Hurts the rest of the way. But guess what, man? You were losing three to nothing. You weren't getting anything done. And when Jalen Hurts got in the game, the way USC was playing played right into his hands and in, in, in needing a guy that was going to be willing and able to run the football and, and make plays with his legs. So, yeah, you're, you, you know what, man? They, That's they, football. they got something going on offense, and so you might not get back in because the guy took the, took the job and ran with it. And if I'm Cooper Bateman, Cooper, you were at practice. You know who you are, and you know who Jalen Hurts is. It, it shouldn't be that much of a stretch to think that he's just beating you out. Um, and, again, it's another just – it's it's – it is about looking what's go- at what's going on in the field and seeing who's having success in, a, in an important game. It's not about just trying to stay consistent with your message. And there's probably an element of Nick Saban in, in the first game of the year in a huge game, keeping things under wrap and, and sending some misdirection and, and making sure no one knew how big of a part of the game plan Jalen Hurts was. But I think the bigger issue is just that Jalen Hurts got in the game and was got was it able rolling. To, yeah, got it rolling. Was able to to be a counterpunch to what 
USC was doing in terms of over pursuing in the run game. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, go win a job, Cooper Bateman, go win a job, Blake Barnett. This is, this, this is, uh, (laughs) Jalen Hurts is, was the guy last year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets with just two taps. Two taps! SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and amazing deals, and also to get the best bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value, so immediately you can identify the best seats that fit your budget. So make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports to concerts to comedy to theater. And just right now, just right now, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Man, that could like cut a ticket in half. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SEC today. That's promo code SEC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And now, very, very excited to welcome to the twenty four seven Sports College Football Podcast, uh, just uh, one of the one of the beacons of twenty four seven Sports. Uh, he has been part of our CBS Sports video coverage as a correspondent, uh, both on College Football Rundown and on SEC Live. Uh, he has been a must follow. Go Tigers twenty four seven is going to be where you're going to find all the best on LSU. Very excited to welcome to the show. Shay Dixon. Shay, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join us here on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I actually thought you were talking about Barton just then, so I'm, now I'm even more excited. Well, this, um, <laughs> well Barton, um, you've, you and Shay have worked together for a little bit now. How much, uh, how, how much back and forth are y'all getting right now with apparently everyone shut out of LSU camp? Yeah, Shay, I mean, we're, See, here's the thing about Shea. This is why it's a beauty to have Shea on the on the pod. Is that all these other suckers out there just looking for scraps from you know what's going on at camp and and getting some nuggets from the stretching period? Shea don't have to worry about that. He's so plugged in that it doesn't matter whether or not he's seeing 15 minute stretches. He he's got the scoop. So uh, Shea, tell me you're not you've not been shut out from all your vast network of sources inside LSU. That's right. I actually have like multiple flat screens at home, and they're all just running inside LSU's practice at all times. So yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. Y'all, y'all tell me what you want to know and answer to, and I promise I've got it. All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and jump right off on the start. We got to go to the quarterback position. Um, we've Danny Etling underwent back surgery, and uh, what? to your estimation from what you've been able to, to talk to him and what you've been able to hear is, is are you comfortable um, as someone who covers LSU thinking that Danny Etling is going to be in a position not only health-wise but in his development as a quarterback with Matt Canada in place that you, you are going to see an improved player under center in 2017? Yeah, I, I think so. And I don't think – you know, you have to also understand and be realistic where the ceiling is, you know, whether he's healthy or not healthy. Um, this is a guy who's now, I mean, he's started double digit games at Purdue. He started, 
you know, what, nearly double-digit games now at LSU, beating out Brandon Harris for the job. So he's got experience, but at the same time, he's not, you know, one of these young you know, Jake Bentley or, or Eason or Fromm or whoever you want to name, you know, sort of gunslingers. He's much more of a, uh, just a game manager. And I think, listen, we'll start off with his injury. He had last year, right before the season, his back flared up. I think he had a lot of tightness in it and things like that. But um, they said, okay, you need to have, if you're going to have the surgery, you're going to be out a while. And he said, okay, well, never mind. I'm, I'm not going to have the surgery because he felt, look, I'm, I'm right here finally on the heels of winning a starting job. And ultimately he did, uh, you know, they lost to Wisconsin, they lost to Auburn. Uh, and he was out there by that game and just a few games into the season. So uh, he put it off then, and, and then when spring rolls around, he was the starter. But as you noted, Chip, you know, Matt Canada comes in to replace Cam Cameron. They go for an all-new offense, uh, and he didn't want to miss that. So he puts off the back surgery uh, until after spring. He has it right when spring ball ends and uh, took a lot of the summer to just rehab that. Uh, he wasn't on like bed rest. I mean, this was you know a, a minor back surgery, but it, it alleviated. He said uh, just a lot of pain. I mean, he had a lot of tightness in his back, and uh, he said now he's to the point where he feels you know as good as he had since he's uh, you know been at LSU in a couple of years now, and uh, and he thinks that's going to translate onto the field. So he said by BYU, a hundred percent, he's going to be fine. There's there's no doubt at all that he's going to start and play. Uh, and right now he's really just put a lot of emphasis on technique and, you know, they're in that portion of camp where they haven't turned the focus to, you know, BYU or, or opponents yet. And, and they're really just focused on LSU. Uh, and he said yesterday when I talked to him, it's been a lot of footwork and timing with receivers since, you know, they kind of have a whole new receiving core and, and obviously a new offense. And um, he's kind of getting a lot of the, the fundamental side down. And, and he said, he's finally able to, to move and, and pivot and plant and, and kind of get out of the pocket without having to kind of grit his teeth because his back's flaring up on him. Uh, and he said that's just led to better plays. So I guess to bring it back to the beginning, he's not going to be this, you know, amazing all-world Heisman quarterback, but what Canada wants him to be is someone who can just manage the offense, do a lot like Peterman did at Pitt last year. Um, you know, they, they a lot of high percentage, you know, easy throws that – uh, that Etling's able to make. And, and I think that ultimately if he can do that, he'll keep the job. Yeah. But uh, this is a team that will then be, you know, a good bit better on offense because they're getting put in a position to, to finally win on offense. What are your impressions so far of Matt Canada? Uh, I got to know him a little bit when he was at Pittsburgh and certainly he comes with uh, a pretty solid body of work, particularly at Wisconsin, when he's had a good, a good stable of backs. And certainly LSU has uh, one of the most dynamic offensive players in Darius Geis and, and a talented running back room. Uh, how do you, you know, what do you think about Matt Canada, the coach? What are the impressions you've gotten? And also, uh, do you think that the offense that we are going to see from LSU might look a little bit like when, when you just mentioned Peterman, might look a little bit like Pitts from a year ago? I think that's probably the question LSU fans have the most, right? Because, I mean, they've been through this, you know, like years of, of a power eye, you know, power run football, you know, two tight sets. And, uh, and it's not extremely creative, not that they didn't win a lot of games and have a lot of good running backs and, uh, and things like that, but they, they never had a passing game. So if they can come in, uh, LSU fans have been watching, you know, the Pitt Clemson game or, or whatever they can find on YouTube sort of nonstop, 
thinking that, oh, okay, this is what the offense will look like. And, uh, you know, I wasn't incredibly hip to, you know, what Canada had going on at Pitt. I knew he was in for the Burroughs Award, and uh, I knew Pitt was playing well last year. But, you know, I finally went over the summer and, and watched a lot of games. And if LSU's offense looks half of what they did there, and, and I think it will because he's preached all this misdirection and, and all the receivers. Jet are, are sweeps, baby. Jets, where, yeah, just jet sweeps all day. Yeah, and that's DJ Chark and, and Russell Gage and Derek Dillon. And, and I think really, too, we're seeing Canada's offense is opening things up for guys that maybe wouldn't have played. I mean, Derek Dillon was a four-star Army All-American, great athlete, high school quarterback, but just a bit undersized as a receiver. And, you know, they were playing these 6-4 and over guys out on the outside, and, and now they're starting to uh, utilize a lot of these jet sweeps, as you said, on every play. They're handing it off. They're not handing it off. And um, so much misdirection. So, uh, yeah, I think LSU's offense will look a lot like Pitt's offense last year. How quickly it gels together for them, we'll see. And and I think the the underlying sort of note that needs to be highlighted and remembered. And I I think I've looked last year. I think Pitt ran the ball like I don't know, like fifty eight or sixty. Let's just say in the sixties, like sixty percent of the time it was a run offense. And I think that's what it'll be at LSU. Like you can't forget, obviously, the best player on the team. All respect the best healthy player on the team. All respect to Arden Key is is Geis. So uh, I think the ball is going to be in his hands a lot. I think they'll find ways to get in the ball in the hands of other guys. Uh, but I think it, it'll still remain a team. LSU's known for running the football. I think that will remain the same. It'll just be a lot less predictable, obviously. Um, but I will say that I've kind of picked up from Canada, uh, and obviously he's you know where has he been? NC State, Wisconsin, Pitt. Uh, Northern Illinois, all these different places that he showed up here. And, and it kind of reminds me of when Mettenberger got to college, like people are like bowing at his altar. Like he shows up in the grocery store uh, and people are like, literally like move out of the way. There's the golden God. That's the guy that's going to save LSU football. And I feel like these coaches, um, you know, especially a guy like an offensive coordinator like him was probably so dialed into what he was doing at all times on his previous stops that he never really, looked up and, and saw, and, and you guys obviously cover it, and, and you know, but the pulse down here is LSU hasn't had an offense in, what, they had a good offense the year. Mettenberg was a, sen- was a senior with Jarvis Landry and Odell, but they haven't had an actually good, consistent offense in years. So Canada's showing up. A lot of people are labeling him as the savior, and I think even he didn't realize, oh, yeah, that they need an OC, or that they want a good offense, sounds good, but – uh, I don't think he realized how much pressure he has to deliver right away and, until he got down here and, and sort of felt out the mood of the fan base. Well, and he is everything that LSU fans have been pining for. Like, even when LSU was good with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham and those guys, it was just like stretch left, stretch right, uh, two receiver routes, you know, throw the ball downfield. It, it, it's never been exciting creative play calling and and Canada is is nothing if not a creative play caller so it's uh, you know I think LSU fans have got to be just pumped about that and, and Canada you know he's never been at a, pl- a place like LSU that's this rabid for football um, but I, I I mean ultimately though Canada is just one guy that's coming in and, and he's the offensive coordinator but the D coordinator is still there from last year Dave Aranda you know, Ed, Ed Orgeron obviously is just pr- promoted from within the staff. Uh, a lot of the same faces are there. I'm, I'm curious, Jay, like big picture, from a just a vibe, feel of the program, um, 
general atmosphere? Is it different? Is it the same? Is it dramatic? Is it subtle? Like what's what's just sort of the bigger picture feel around the program relative to to what it was like under Les Miles? Yeah, well, I think people too. You have to remember that a lot of the fan base is getting over this hump where. For two years, they thought they were getting Jimbo. Um, and, you know, for LSU fans, Jimbo wasn't just like a you – know, it's not a name that Coach Florida State. He obviously won a national championship at LSU. Uh, he has ties to Baton Rouge. So, um, you know, not this past year, but the year prior, y'all remember, they carried Les off the field. Everyone thought they were going to fire him. They didn't. Um, but all the fans thought it was Jimbo then. They thought it was Jimbo again. Then they thought it was Herman for – whatever it was, you know, a couple of weeks there, and, and then it was Orgeron. So I think a lot of fans are holding out hope that, you know, that O will uh, will be able to deliver, and it will be different than Ole Miss, obviously. It will be more in line with his interim, you know, gig at USC and again at LSU when he went 6-2 and two both times. So I think there's some hope that really that he'll come through. And, and Barton, the best way for me to say it is LSU fans went through so long of Miles saying, like, oh, yeah, this year the offense will change, right? Like, this year it's going to be different. And, and he never had his hand in the defense too much. It wasn't his forte, and, and the defense was always good. Uh, but he always had his hand in the offense, and it was always evident because we saw, as you just described the offense, even when they have guys who are NFL pro bowlers at, you know, running back Jeremy Hill, quarterback Mettenberger, the receivers, they were still running a very, you know, simple approach in terms of kind of this NFL, you know, very power offense and, uh, and now they get creative, and, and I think they just want a head coach who says, trust me, I am going to manage this program, I'm going to recruit, I'm going to hire good coordinators, and I'm going to let them do their thing. And, and they, in my opinion, I think they've got the two best coordinators in the conference on each side of the ball. Uh, we'll see what Canada can do, but I think Aranda proved that last year. Um, so I think people are cautiously optimistic. I mean, they've got a, obviously always a tough schedule. They open with BYU, which is going to be a bunch of 25 year old dudes out there against a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds for LSU's younger guys. So I don't think anyone's thinking like they're going to go to Atlanta this year for sure. They're going to make it to the playoffs, but I think they just want to see them rebound back into the right direction, make some of these games close that, uh, and I think two people always say like LSU couldn't beat Bama. And that was the reason that, you know, things went south for less and, and true in a way, but you have to also remember LSU was starting to lose to Arkansas kind of like routinely until last year when Orgeron was the coach and lost some games to Ole Miss. They had come very close to losing the state a couple of times in back-to-back years. So if they can get back and sort of put their foot down on everybody's not as talented as them and, and then that one game each year is the big one, uh, LSU fans will be pretty pleased, I would think. What about inside the building, though? Like, what about is is I guess is is Coach O approaching things dramatically differently than Les Miles did? Because I mean, Les Miles was, as I understand it, pretty well liked among at least the players. So, is there a? I mean, when I was up there this spring, you know, he he was very much in like a circle of the wagons. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're Louisiana. Let's let's be a family. All this sort of stuff, but. I don't know how different that was than what Les Miles would preach. And, and, and because there's so much continuity between this staff and the Miles staff, I'm curious if it just feels the same inside the building. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it is, or, or if it is, is Coach O trying to take a vast, you know, a extreme approach in, in a different way than Les Miles did? I think the biggest thing with inside the, the football ops building is that he's sort of letting everyone do their role, right? And, and anytime, I'm not blaming Les for 
having his hand in things or, or, you know, anytime you have a coach for 11 years, you know, people get complacent or, um, you know, you get into a routine and don't change. I think with Orgeron, he's really sparked the office and in terms of renewed energy and everybody sort of uh, getting after it. I, for example, Jeff Grimes, the line coach for, he's been here four years for those four years. I mean, he's a, a guy who's been in a lot of colleges, coached a lot of O lines and didn't have a large say and ultimately what they were doing or who they were starting because Les was an offensive lineman. He was the head coach. It was his call to make. And uh, now Orgeron saying, no, look, you, you pick out your starters. You decide who's coming in and out. You decide, uh, you know, sort of everything along the way. So I think from a morale standpoint, things are, are going in the right direction. And, and I think and we're still seeing it. Orgeron's really big on Louisiana first and, and Miles was a Michigan man. He wasn't from here. He certainly made this his home and everybody loved him for a long period of time. And it wasn't like they hated him. It had just that the fans had obviously the miles era had run its course. It was time for a change. So uh, with Orgeron coming in, I mean, he is really harped on winning back the fan base and, and winning over the high school coaches and making everything about Louisiana, like Louisiana first, it's going to be, and we've seen it in this recruiting class. I mean, not to get in depth on it, but they have 20 commits and double digit of them are from Louisiana in a year that Bart and I talked before. I think Orgeron would agree. It's kind of a down year in Louisiana, but I don't think he's got much of a choice because he's trying to, to rebuild in a state that had sort of allowed Alabama to come in and, and start plucking guys routinely. So his first year is, has really been about just rebuilding that foundation that sort of makes LSU special because the whole state cares about it. One of the things uh, that has I've been able to glean from Go Tigers, from Go 24-7 uh, at 24-7 Sports, is it seems, Shay, like the youth movement is really in full force. And, you know, there have been a lot of comments from players. Uh, I know on the offensive line, I know that uh, Clyde the Glide has made, a, has made a bunch of good impressions. And from what I can tell uh, from some of your notes, it seems like the there's a chance that we might see uh, some of these players, you know, you've even got uh, Jacoby Stevens, who, of course, was a five-star defensive back who's made the change to wide receiver. Like, some of these names, some of these signing day names are going to – might have a chance to see the field uh, this fall. Yeah, I think that's the, the biggest storyline so far out of camp is that this class showed up, and we knew, like, who the heavy hitters were, like Caleb on Chase on, right. for instance. And you mentioned Jacoby Stevens. He was the other – uh, five-star signee, but Chase on was the number one outside linebacker in the country. I remember um, he showed up to an LSU summer camp back in the day with a, another teammate of his who now plays at LSU, Eric Monroe, but um, Barton was there. It was the first time we'd ever seen Chase on. He had played no football up to that point. Orgeron just said, hey, put on some cleats, go bar some. Let me, let me work you out at D-line. Uh, and I think we ranked him as a four-star then off of no film, just seeing him there that day. Uh, and he winds up as this five-star number one linebacker in the country. Uh, and he's come in and just torn apart camp. I mean, in the first scrimmage he had, I think Orgeron said four tackles for a loss, a sack, a bunch of quarterback hurries. Uh, and I talked to Etling and some other guys and they said, we haven't, I haven't seen a guy with a first step like that. Arden Key doesn't have a first step like that. I and mean, this is a kid who's going to play a ton at outside linebacker right away. And they're going to have him and Key on the field at the same time. So the things like, like for instance, everyone knew Chase on was going to play. He's come in, he lived up to the billing. Um, but we've seen so many other guys make an impact. I mean, Todd Harris was a guy that really didn't get into the class until late. 
and he's come in looks great. Kerry Vincent has come in uh, as an Under Armour All-American, a four-star, uh, and pretty much won a starting job in the nickel already. You mentioned uh, you go all the way down to the bottom of the commit list, which LSU recruits really well, so even the bottom of the commit list isn't bad prospects. But, I mean, one of the lowest-rated guys in the class was Clyde edwards Elair, and the knock was that he was 5'8", that he wouldn't be able to run in the SEC. Uh, and across the first week, he breaks off three different, you know, 60-plus yard runs. Guy said that just because he is 5'8", but he's 215 and, and runs so uh, strong and powerful, the, the defense, who's all, you know, a bunch of six-foot-and-over guys, they can't get their hands on him. So uh, he's sort of stolen the show. Orgeron said that was sort of a surprise for camp uh, for him so far. So, yeah, I, I think I look at this entire list up and down, and, and I throw special teams out the window out of – a bit of need, but a lot of talent. And then the reality that the coaching staff's going to play the guys who are the best, the guys are going to give them the best chance to win. Uh, I think double digit kids from this class that signed in February are going to be playing uh, a lot in the two deep for LSU this fall. Some guys are going to be starting guys like Grant Delpit might be starting uh, game one against BYU. So yeah, I, I think that what was it like the number seven class in the country, which is low for LSU. Typically, I think they come away really, really excited about what these guys are going to bring to them right away. Wow. I'm excited to hear that. We had, uh, we had chase on higher than everybody else. Um, so I'm glad to hear he's playing well. Where, where, where are the other like undecided position battles right now? Um, I know, I mean, linebacker, I feel like coming into camp was an area where there was some, some competition there for the, the the taking obviously it sounds like safety with grant delpit potentially you know having a chance to win that job what, what are the, the the areas in practice that you're really keeping a close eye on shay yeah well john battle's got i can kind of work from top to i guess like the defense down but john battle is a guy who's gonna he's gonna start he's a junior now but uh then it's ed paris a former you know, top few safety in the country against uh, against Grant Delpit for a starting job at safety. So senior versus a freshman, two really talented guys out of Texas. Um, cornerback's pretty good, you know, Dante Jackson and, and Kevin Tolliver, but uh, they've got some guys in there, Greedy Williams, Christian Fulton. Uh, I mean, they've never had, Corey Raymond's never had an issue recruiting DBs. So outside of safety, that's, you know, that's pretty locked up. Uh, the linebackers were the big concern, and, and they've got Michael Divinity and Chase on, on each side at outside linebacker. They've got Corey Thompson back. They've got guys like Andre Anthony and Cy Martin and uh, Ray Thornton, Rasan Thornton out of Texas. All those guys are coming off red shirt years. So uh, all of them will finally be playing at outside linebacker. And, and then middle linebacker was a real issue. They couldn't, they didn't have enough starters, like scholarship starters to even field the two guys that were starting, let alone a two deep at middle linebacker. Uh, so they had to move some guys around, but this summer, Jacob Phillips gets here, the number one middle linebacker in the country. He's looked great. Tyler Taylor and Patrick Queen are two more. Um, and Donnie Alexander and Devin White. Devin White's a guy who played running back in high school. I remember Barton liked him a lot at linebacker. He ultimately chose linebacker because Fournette and Geis were there last year, and he wanted to play as a freshman. And uh, and now he might be their best linebacker this year. We'll see. Um, he looked like he may be one of the best linebackers that. in the country last year, Shay. Like when he flashed as a true freshman, it was unbelievable. Is he is he still tr- tracking that 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 well? I mean, he, <laughs> I mean that dude was unbelievable sometimes last year. Yeah, and and he was playing behind you know Duke Riley and Kendall Beckwith, two guys who got drafted obviously in, in the third round, fourth round. So yeah, when he got his chances last year, it was really good. Um, he had a strip sack against A and M that I think was sort of one of his highlights. He had a good game against Ole Miss. 
Um, but he's a no-doubt starter. I think he's pushing 80, 90 tackles this year from that middle linebacker spot, which will you know be one or two on the team overall. So, yeah, I think he's poised for a monster year. Um, D-line, I mean, they're pretty veteran. They've got Lockator. Uh, they've got Rashard Lawrence. They've got Frank Heron. They've got Greg Gilmore at Alexander started to play. So, defend, like, I'm not worried about the defense. If I'm, like, having to pick LSU season, uh, they've got so much talent on D. They've got Aranda. Uh, they've got good position coaches, Pete Jenkins, uh, Dennis Johnson, Corey Raymond, like, they're, and they've got depth. So they're totally good there, and, and there's no – I'll get to quarterback last. There's no battle at running back. You know, Geis is the guy. Some other guys will play. There isn't, I guess you wouldn't call it a battle at O-line. It's just that all of a sudden with Tahuma gone, and now you've got a Will Clapp and, and K.J. Malone and Toby Weathers, the all-starters, all got held out of the scrimmage because they literally can't take any risks. I mean, they have 11 scholarship O-linemen right now. Five left the program over the, the course of the offseason, one of them. Seth Stewart, a true freshman, shows up and just leaves and quits football altogether uh, after a couple days. So they're sort of in an O-line pinch, and uh, we'll see. There'll be some guys in that mix who uh, are going to get their chance. Austin Deculus, <clears throat> a true freshman, I think we had him as like a top-10 offensive tackle. He's a guy that he'll maybe play inside. Maybe we'll see some time at right tackle, but uh, I think he's a swing man to, to really pay attention to. Um, tight end, they're fine. Uh, you know, Foster Moore is back. Caleb Roddy plays tight end now, and and they sort of combine. There's no more fullbacks at LSU. They've moved all the fullbacks, JD Moore and all those guys, into a room with uh, with the tight ends, and that's sort of the H back room now. So uh, we'll see. And I think that's going to be an interesting development, uh, as Chip said. The the offense, the speed sweeps and jet sweeps and all that. Uh, they do so many of these little pitches, like fake the sweep and then pitch to the, the H-back or, yeah. or what have Yeah, a little shuffle pass. So I'm interested to see how they use those guys. Uh, and then quarterback. We know Etling's going to be the starter, but I- I'm telling you, I think that – I think Orgeron's trying to build or Canada's trying to build towards the future. Etling's obviously uh, at the end of the line here. Um, and everything I've heard is that Miles Brennan's got a, a real good shot to win the number two job. And – uh, that would be ahead of McMillan and Lindsey Scott and Lowell Narcisse. Uh, but he just got here. Everybody else has been on campus, uh, you know, more than a year now. Narcisse got here in January. So he's only a week into camp. But, I mean, he, Etling said the way the ball comes out of his arms so quickly and his knowledge of the game that the big thing for him is just going to be getting adjusted to the speed and, and then obviously putting on some weight. And, and he's done that. I think he said he's gained like 28 pounds since he's been – I guess since he got here in the summer to now. So it's been That's waking Brennan? up at one in the morning. Yeah, Brennan waking up at one in the morning to eat another meal before he goes back to bed. And uh, But yeah, I think he said he's up over 25 pounds already, which puts him, you know, a good amount of weight on him. He'll keep going. I bet he ends up in the 215 range. And I really do think we'll see him as a true freshman. Let's say they blow out Chattanooga in week two. Uh, I won't be shocked at all if he trots out on the field in, in the third or fourth quarter and gets some reps. All right, Shay, make your prediction. Is is Miles Brennan going to be finally the answer at quarterback? I know it's not going to be this year, but do you are you getting that kind of optimistic buzz that, all right, we finally hit on one. Like, this guy is not – there's no question. This guy's going to be special. Yeah, well, I think that's at least how the fan base feels. And, and we saw – I mean, he went – this is a <laughs> well, guy who let's, uh, yeah, let, I mean, we, yeah, fan we base saw him in Elite he was – I'd say, what did he, we ranked him and I trust us. You know, we've got you and, and Luke and some other guys who, you know, have your eyes on Elite 11 in the opening. I mean, if you put 
all the quarterbacks from last class next to each other. I mean, he might be the fifth or sixth best one. Maybe you could make a case for hire, which would be much better than anything else LSU's gotten recently. I know they signed two top 247 quarterbacks last year. I'm a bit worried about Narcisse. I mean, he's torn his ACL on both knees in, in back-to-back years. So, uh, you know, you wonder about his durability. Um, but, yeah, I think Brennan gives them a real shot just because he's – He's got the arm. You know he can put it together on the field. I mean, he owns a lot of good quarterbacks have come out of Mississippi. None have passed for more yards, thrown for more touchdowns, had a better completion percentage. I mean, he owns all those records now. So, yeah, I think he gives them a a realistic shot. I think if Canada sticks around and and you can finally have some stability there and and learn under uh, kind of one guy, uh, yeah, I think that they – I feel good about it. I think LSU feels good about it, that Brennan's their future. And I'll say this. If if we see Brennan getting snaps out there this year, which means ahead of all those other guys uh, who have been in the program, Justin McMillan's taken snaps before. Uh, if a true freshman who just got here this summer starts taking snaps, I think that means they feel really good about him being the future uh, of LSU football for the next three years after this year. Shay, uh, you mentioned earlier when you were referencing Darius Geis, you said he was the best healthy player on the team and you mentioned Arden Key and this is the thing that's interesting Arden Key uh, remember spent some time for fans listening you remember clearly uh, uh, Arden Key spent some time away from the team with personal reasons he had offseason shoulder surgery he has been going through some walkthrough stuff but still not out there quite yet status for week one uncertain I feel like we've got a situation with Key where we know the like we know how good he is at like the very uh he is at the very specific position and the very specific talent that makes him a highly valuable NFL commodity and for that reason I totally understand why uh you might as a coaching staff as a program or as you know even Arden Key want to make sure that you preserve that future and you do everything possible to to make sure that you don't hurt what is a, a first round NFL draft status you know potentially even upper first round you know what are your expectations for this season because uh I am I'm getting uh, you know, a different position, uh, but, you know, I almost wonder if we, we might see some, some like, Miles Garrett-type vibes around here where you, you've got uh, – he, he could potentially be a specialty, like a weaponized-type edge rusher. I don't – like, I've, I've, I'm waffling back and forth between Arden Key leading the nation in sacks and Arden Key just being this game-changer that maybe we only get to see in bursts. You know, I'm still in the camp. It's a good question. I think that's one thing that people need to start thinking more about when you think about Key this year uh, and weighing all the options that you just laid out. I'm in the camp that thinks uh, he took the time away. He wasn't there in spring. He had the shoulder surgery. He's not in a sling anymore. So as as you noted, he's out there in walkthroughs, which are in the mornings. Uh, Orgeron does a kind of verbatim NFL style. They do walk through in the morning, they go through the entire practice, and then they actually practice in the afternoon. Uh, so he's done all the morning stuff. He's just not doing contact stuff. So BYU, I bet he doesn't play. Um, I wouldn't think then that maybe Chattanooga is the next week. Like, do you play him then if you don't play him against BYU? Like, is he going to be that much more healthy? I bet they just let him. I think he's going to be healthy by the time the season starts. We'll see about BYU, but I won't be shocked if he doesn't play until maybe week three when they go to Starkville, uh, which will obviously be a huge game. They'll need him. Uh, I bet he plays then, and I don't think we're getting 
you know, you mentioned Garrett, and, and you can also say kind of like Leonard Fournette last year, right? I mean, but he had a high ankle sprain, so that was sort of like a nagging, lingering issue. Um, you know, I think key shoulder surgery is just going to rehab and get over it. But uh, Fournette, it was every week. It was is he going to play, and is he or is he not going to play? And you can remember the Florida game; he got scratched, and they get in a fight before the game. Then he wants to play, and he goes out there, and it was quite clear he should not have been playing. Orgeron even said it, um, and ultimately they, they come into a close battle with Florida and lose. So uh, I, I think that they'll probably let Key – if they're not playing him in BYU, I bet we don't see him until week three against State. But then I bet we see him on a very routine basis because I think he's the type of guy, a lot like Fournette, that just wants to be out there. And, and I, I think by that time it won't be anything that's given him an issue anymore, and, and he'll be healthy and – uh, it'll sort of all be forgotten. I really do think. I think he plays a lot this year. All right. Um, we are going to hold your feet to the fire, Shay. Uh, where are you looking at, like, if there is a, you know, like, where is the low end of your expectations record-wise? You know, what is the, the best? So not best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, but wh- what are you looking at up and down the schedule at the potential outcome at the end of the regular season? And, you know, in that, where do you think are the, maybe the one or two games where your expectations hinge on in terms of you know, the win total, the, the record at the end of the regular season for 2017? I think there's a lot of games in the schedule obvious they play in the SEC. There's a lot of games right. that could go either way. I think the BYU game's a really interesting one, and I think it depends. How does LSU come out? They've got a new offense. They've got a lot of guys on offense that weren't there last year, and, and you're playing um, a team that they didn't have a lot, a lot of marquee wins last year, but they had a good defense, and, and the only games that they lost, or, or the games that they lost, uh, I think they lost by like a combined, like I don't know, like 10 points, let's say, and it was like four games. It was you know one point, three points, two points, so I think BYU keeps that game close. I think between the BYU and State game, which is week three, I think State's going to be good as well. Um, I won't be surprised if they lose one of those. So let's say they lose one there. Uh, if they don't, they roll into Florida in October sitting at, gosh, 5-0 and because yep. they're not going to lose to Chattanooga, Troy, Syracuse, any of those teams. So uh, I don't see them losing to Florida. Down here, you got to remember both sides, I guess. There's so much drama with that whole cancellation. Y'all were too scared to travel. We're not going to travel. Uh, how the game ended, at, you know, at the one yard line with guys getting stopped and uh, and Florida winning and and sort of everything that happened after. I think LSU's going to LSU's a more talented team. I, I'm not buying into Zaire completely. Uh, so I think LSU goes to Florida and wins. Uh, I think LSU is going to beat Auburn. It's at home. Um, we'll see how Stidham's playing by then, but. Uh, still, it's going to be really tough to move the ball against this LSU defense. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say they haven't beaten Bama since 2011. It'd be tough for me to say that this would be the year, uh, given Bama's coming off a title appearance and it's in Tuscaloosa. So they'll they'll lose a couple games. Um, let's see, a trip to Tennessee will be an interesting game, more so that you traveled and actually having to play the balls. I think LSU's a lot better than they are. I don't. They've never lost A&M since they've joined the. The West, that's the only team that, uh, that A&M has not beaten yet in the West is LSU. And having that game every year at the end is, is sort of unfair for A&M. Like, they always play really well in the beginning, but then when, you know, the guys get worn down and they don't have the depth when you get into that last week of the year, uh, LSU can just get out-physical them and out-depth them. So two or three losses, maybe. Um, but I think that'd be a good year. Remember, you're coming off a year where you fired your coach from the past 11 years, and, and the program was certainly trending uh, downward after those two years. So 
Um, in that range, but but listen, I, I, obviously this isn't like a bold prediction or anything, but LSU's talented enough to win every game on, on the schedule, and, and that's sort of how the team is approaching this is that they feel like they've got a shot at a playoff and, and you know, getting to Atlanta, and, and I think the one thing that stands in their way this year, obviously Auburn's got a talented quarterback, but is that road trip to Bama and ultimately how Bama does in their conference schedule. He is Shay Dixon. Make sure that you follow all of his updates at Go247. He is the LSU expert for 24-7 Sports. Shay, thank you so much. We really appreciate the time. All right, Chip Barton, thank you all so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Shay Dixon for joining us. That was very enlightening, and we will be sure to get him back on the show uh, as that was just an awesome conversation, and he knows that team and that program pretty doggone well. Barton, the question of the day. The award-winning closing segment question of the day. Uh, North Carolina over the weekend unveiled a whole bunch of new Jordan Brand football stuff. We knew that Jordan Brand was going to be linking up with North Carolina, but this is our first time to see mock-ups. And one of the things that has generated a lot of headlines has been uh, the jump man on the side of a practice helmet. There's also going to be other uh, you know, uniform combinations, but the it's it's drawing some attention. Like even the Virginia Tech football Twitter account gets in the conversation. They they post one picture of the VT on the side, one picture of the North Carolina practice helmet with the jump man on the side, and it was like, what do you like better, the basketball player on the football helmet <laughs> or the iconic VT football logo? Like this is. This, to me, is generating uh, a lot of buzz, mostly because Jordan is Jordan, and this is a, a basketball thing. Remember, uh, Jordan also is teamed up with Michigan football, so North Carolina was not the first to do this. So, Barton, you know uh, the recruiting trail. You know particularly uh, the impact uh, that some of the, the branding has on recruits. Do you think that uh, for Jordan to get all in on the practice helmets, on the branding, on the uniforms. Do you think that this will have a major impact, a minor impact, or no impact uh, for North Carolina moving forward? I think I, I'm going to go minor. I think it's a, a minor impact because I, I've seen it at Michigan, and Michigan's gear looks pretty sharp. I mean, I saw like Greg Fry walking around the Michigan offensive line coach at a camp this summer rocking like his custom michigan style uh retro jordans and it was it was a pretty good look and i i don't know how much cachet jordan still has with the young generation but my hunch is that it's he, he still got it my hunch is that you when you push jordan behind something uh it's it is it, it's gonna move the needle and i i think it's also just it's unique, you know. It just it just differentiates North Carolina to a certain degree, and I, I think that the Jordan gear is just good gear. I mean, <laughs> I a big reason I like I would go like I would be more interested in going to a school that was a Adidas or Nike school than an Under Armour school because I just think Adidas and Nike gear is better than Under Armour gear. Like that would be it wouldn't be a deciding factor for me, but right. it would it would be on the you know down way at the bottom of the list as as just sort of one thing to throw in the in the tally. Uh, and I think Jordan Brand it has that sort of you know I think it can be a little bit of a boost. So I, I don't know where, where are you at with this? I, I 
I, I, I listen. Here's where I'm at with this. All right, you, the University of Georgia and the University of North Carolina, both state schools, both uh, you know big schools, great college towns between Athens and Chapel Hill. Uh, obviously, Georgia's football program. Uh, has much more cachet, um, and Georgia's a Nike school. North Carolina was a Nike school, and here's where I'm going to say it, it for me for me to think that it makes a difference because I, I re- even though the the football environment is much different, I would say that the college environment is probably comparable at the University of Georgia and the University of North Carolina. Just overall, because North Carolina uh, does have you know national championship contending basketball teams uh, and and plenty of other uh, aspects to it that I think bring it up to par. You know, when when Georgia stops going into North Carolina and getting the best running backs, you know, with Zeus being the most recent one, but with that line including uh, a Todd Gurley and a Keith Marshall and, and many others, like when when North Carolina starts getting some of those some of those best players, Clemson, a Nike school, you know, if if the Jordan brand somehow can help them keep uh, those best players in the state of North Carolina from slipping out to, you know, Clemson or South Carolina or uh, Georgia, then, you know, sure. Or, or even Tennessee, you know, Tennessee's coming to North Carolina and get some of them. Like, there's, there's been, there have been too many four and five star players that have left that for me, anything that has to do with the impact on recruiting, like I, I, if they need to make the North Carolina football brand a little cooler. And for me, I need to see some of those in-state players want to have the jump man, Michael Jordan, who, you know, Wilmington guy played at North Carolina owns the Charlotte Hornets. Like if, if you want to go all in on that Michael Jordan homegrown brand, then you got to keep some of the best, some of the best prospects in the state and have them going to the state flagship school, then I will believe it has a major impact. But TBD is my answer. Everything matters in recruiting. Even if it's just a little bit, everything matters in recruiting. So that's why I'm on the minor impact train um, because, man, it's all part of the equation. Yep, absolutely. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you subscribe to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Subscribers, get the episodes first. We are going to have Tom Fernelli on Thursday's episode, so you do not want to miss that. Barton, thank you very much. You got it. <laughs>